This podcast is brought to you by Workle, a platform helping people get happier at work. Find out more at workle.co. Work happier. The world of technology was accelerating at lightning speed. You know, nobody really knows how this stuff is created. next thing you know those 10 people have told 10 people they told another 10 people and it just exploded welcome to the happy work life podcast where people with inspiring careers reflect on how happy they have been in their working lives on this podcast we hear from a range of people working in business startups science academia media healthcare fashion and much more and find out which roles gave them the most satisfaction and importantly, what they have done to get happier at work. So sit down with me, Mark Price, founder of Workle, to help you get happier at work. Workle is the platform where you can find a job in the happiest companies, take our happiness test, network, and get career support from experts, and much, much more. I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine Parsons. Catherine Parsons, MBE, I should add, as she was given an honour in the New Year's Honours list in 2014 for her services to education. The reason that she got that honour is that she helped the government set up educations in all schools in the UK for children to be taught coding. And that came after she set up Decoded. Catherine's a wizard at languages, as you're about to find out. Japanese, Italian, Latin and ancient Greek, Mandarin. And I'm delighted that she's able to join us. And I'd like to, to start um, around your childhood, if I can, because it's clear, having read lots of things that you've written in blogs and elsewhere, that your, um, your parents, particularly your mum, was an inspiration to you. Could you just say a little about that? W- were they an inspiration and, and why were they an inspiration? I grew up in London. Both my parents are Irish and they really instilled in us a sense of if you work hard enough and like a real, you know, work ethic was there um, because they're such hard workers. But if you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you put your mind to. And certainly my dad was very strongly of the opinion that being a woman just was no barrier to anything it was only really when I got older over the age of 18 I suddenly realized that actually the world is different for women maybe than it is for men it was kind of a slow realization that that happened because he really um, never made me feel that any of my career ambitions academic ambitions you know or even entrepreneurial ambitions right now in my life he's always gives me that emotional support. You know, I always kind of knew I wanted to start a business. I just didn't know what it was. And they really instilled in me just working hard education-wise. And, you know, I was very kind of studious and would lock myself away in libraries quite a lot. And they really just instilled those values of education and hard work. And being a woman isn't a barrier to anything. So I'm grateful for them, for that forever, really. We'll talk about your values in your business decoded a little later and how you've carried those um, those values through. But just carrying on your, your story a little bit further from um, your school days, uh, you went to Cambridge University. You're an amazing linguist. You're probably too modest to say that you're an amazing linguist, but you are an amazing linguist. So how, how did you get into languages? How did that start? 
loved languages from a very young age and you know I, I went to France and uh, when I was seven and and started learning French from the age of seven um, I started learning Latin at the age of 11 I then ultimately chose to do Latin and ancient Greek at university but along the way I delved into lots of other languages so I actually enrolled in um, the School of Oriental and African Studies in London to go and do kind of post-executive programmes for Japanese when I was 14. And I really enjoyed doing that. So I would go to school and then in the evening I would go to SOAS um, and I would study Japanese. And, um, and I also studied Italian um, and Mandarin as well. Um, I found a great Mandarin teacher at SOAS who then in my 20s I decided I wanted to study Mandarin it was very very challenging I have to say like for two years um and I studied ancient Greek as well at university um so yeah I suppose I saw languages as just these other worlds and I wanted to explore them um I didn't necessarily care if I was going to be great at one or not so good at the other one um for example I was pretty good at French um, but not so great at Italian for example um, but for me it was really about understanding the world and you know being proficient in a language enough that you can converse with someone but that you can actually understand the culture as well and um, for me technology was absolutely the same and I only came to technology after university but I really came at it with a mindset of well these are ones and zeros they, these are languages that are being used to create that's the language of today it's the language of the future potentially a bit more useful than latin and ancient greek but they definitely look like a you know they equally look like codes to me and um, i wanted to decode it and i wanted to learn those languages and um, so i got a real shock when i discovered that there was nowhere to learn when i started looking around for somewhere to learn about coding Take us from the, the journey. How, how did you get from your degree at Cambridge to setting up Decoded, where your goal was to teach everybody to code in a day? How, how did that happen? Because you kind of very quickly went from, I'd learned all these languages and you know I was really, really good at some and perhaps not so good at others, but could still do them into um, ones and zeros are like a language. But how, what, just how did you get to, to set up coding, what what brought you there? Well, it just really wasn't on my roadmap. I look back and um, and I have no regrets about how anything happened. But no one would start a business the way that I started decoded today. I don't think you know it really was a passion project that um, I thought maybe fifty people might turn up to learn with us, but actually we struck a real chord. And how I got there was I'd, I'd left university. I knew I wanted to start a business. Um, I studied the arts. So where do you, and I felt, you know, I was quite a creative person. And I really dotted around and did so many different jobs. If I wrote a list of them all, I think I could fill a A4 piece of paper of what I was, you know, what I tried to, I, I needed to make money. So I would do anything from, you know, waitressing um, and beyond. Um, but I eventually got onto the Ogilvy graduate training scheme. And that was my first proper job, I think. And um, so there it was great. They would rotate you around all the different parts of the business. 
I met friends for life. So many of them then came and joined me on the decoded journey. And I'm still, I mean, I really believe in like never burning your bridges because, you know, I left Ogilvy in when I was about 25 or six to start my first business. And um, and it's great that I'm getting to talk to this to you about this because I often really cut out these 10 years of my life, but it's um I didn't just leave university and start decoded. And um and so I took the leap uh, with my current business partner at Decoded, Richard. You know, we, we've worked together for an incredibly long time. And, um, and we started a business that was creating um, properties, like creative assets for um, digital assets for, for brands. And so I, was cre I created apps. Uh, I created virtual worlds. Um, I created um, social media characters. I mean, I'd already inadvertently discovered that I had a passion for technology through that experience at Ogilvy. And that was where I, um, that was my niche. And it was really only a few years into that. Um, and so I, that was my plan to keep doing that business that somebody turned around and said to me, oh, so, um, you know, you're producing all these, this digital content. Do you understand how it's created? You know, uh, are you able to code? Do you know how to create apps and and I, I actually, I think I fudged it when they asked me that. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do understand that stuff. And I was thinking, do you know what? I don't, I don't really understand the building blocks behind the scene. You know, a lot of this stuff is outsourced. It's a little bit smoke and mirrors. You know, nobody really knows how this stuff is created. But, you know, smartphones, the world was accelerating the world of technology was accelerating at lightning speed and it was becoming very clear that technology was not just some thing that sits in a back office, which it was when I started work. It really was not the cool place to be, um, but it was going to become something that was um, going to reshape our economy, our lives, um, and that we were going to become connected at every single moment of the day. It felt too important not to to understand and so I set myself a little challenge I was going to go find a way to learn so the next time my client quizzed me um, I would come back very confidently and be able to tell them that I understood all these technologies and I even had written a few lines of code myself but it was a it was a very demoralizing journey when I went to go and do that learning process I I asked a friend who was a very talented developer and founder who shooed me away and said, Catherine, you studied Latin and ancient Greek, go away. You could never understand this stuff. Um, I called up a university, several different universities, teaching computer science, seeing if I could get on one of their, you know, coding modules. And they just weren't teaching coding as part of the curriculum. And at that stage, when you Googled to try and find schools to learn about technology um, or even to learn online, there was nothing. And so that's how Decoded was born. And it was really it kind of says what it does on the tin. It was I want to take away the fear, take away the jargon and the cliches. I want anyone, me mainly, but like anyone to be able to walk through the door, have a transformative experience. I don't have six months. I don't even have a year. I only have a day, uh, but could you teach me more in a day than I could potentially learn if I was left to my own devices in a year? 
And actually to create that first in a day experience, the code in a day experience, that's what brought together the, you know, the first dream team at Decoded, which was people really passionate about solving that that challenge. And we spent probably a year creating this one day workshop. I mean, we do a lot of different stuff that's very different to that now, but you know, this is the, the ship that launched, you know, everything. And then we ran our first course for 10 people. Um, the next thing you know, those 10 people have told 10 people, they told another 10 people, and it just exploded. And like I said, I thought maybe there were a few other people like me who wanted to learn about this stuff really quickly. But it turned out we we touched on a nerve, which was that a very small percentage of people in the world actually feel empowered by technology and feel literate in it and felt like they understood it. And it was, you know, less than 1% of the world and absolutely everyone else felt terrified and felt ostracized and felt that they had no one to turn to who could be an empathetic, human, friendly, fun um, person to actually decode it for them. And uh, so, yeah, you, uh, we taught people how to code a very simple web app in a single day. But more than that, it was about really explaining how these technologies had evolved, the human beings who created them, and putting it in context so that you could come out the other side and actually see the world differently. And almost as if you'd seen behind the magician's curtain, you know, and um, it was it was incredible. And I still I feel like I remember almost the first thousand people who came to our doors so vividly because it was such an electrifying moment to have people send you these testimonials saying that they'd for years they'd felt you know, scared and or that they felt like they were diving into the ocean and discovering a new world. And um, yeah, it was it was amazing. And I'll never forget that first year that we started, which was 10 years ago now, over 10 years ago, I think. And so tell me, have you ever had anybody who couldn't code at the end of the day? <laughs> we have taught so many people. It's incredible. And just to give you a sense of the diversity of people who were coming to Dakota at that point. Now we do a lot of work actually to really go through people's um, proficiencies and skills before we put them on uh, specific courses. Um, so for example, if you're about to do a kind of 12 month long uh, data science course with us, we will make sure that you are uh, going to succeed and that you are the right type of person to be doing that um, particular course. But actually on the on the one day workshops that we did, there's honestly no one that came out the other side not having learned something. I can remember maybe two and we've taught hundreds of thousands of people. I think there were two people that might have felt like it was an overstatement code in a day, but that's not very many considering the amount of people we taught. And actually you would have, um, we would sometimes, sometimes have these tables where I thought, what else could you find this mixture of people sitting around a table? You would have a woman who'd been out of work maybe for three years, bringing up her kids. She'd lost a lot of confidence, was wondering whether she could get a job in technology sitting next to a 17-year-old who didn't want to go to university, wanted to code his first um, startup, um, sitting next to the head of policy at one of the biggest technology companies in the world, sitting next to, and so on and so forth, you know, and it would just be like, these people had never sat around a table together, but they were united by a desire to be empowered by technology and understand it. 
And I think the oldest person we've ever taught, so the youngest, I mean, we've done loads of pro bono work with, with kids and, um, but, you know, decoded it typically, we do teach, you know, 17, 18 upwards, but we've taught, you know, six, seven year olds um, and right up to 70 and 80. I remember we actually brought all our mums in once to do it for Mother's Day, which was which was fun. We hadn't kind of thought to ourselves, oh, all our mothers were about to meet each other. And, you know, we were all like worried about how good they'd be at coding. But then we suddenly realised, oh, what we should have been worried about was them telling stories about, you know, what we were doing <laughs> when we were seven years old. Um, and, and it was really funny because now some of them were really good friends and so on and hang out with each other. But, you know, I always kind of, loved the challenge particularly when people would come through the door feeling like absolutely I cannot learn this not only do I can't I learn this but I'm not even sure I want to you know we really relished that challenge there's nothing greater than taking a cynic and turning them into an evangelist we're 100% word of mouth growing business I remember three years into the business sitting with our accountant looking at all the different spend across the business and saw one small number which I liked because it was small and I said what's that and I think it was like 27 pounds or something he said that's our marketing budget (laughs) we had spent nothing on marketing because we focused so heavily upon creating a brilliant experience that delivered upon what felt like an impossible promise that we had just grown through word of mouth So technology broadly needs to be seen as a tool. It is an incredibly powerful tool and it's one that you can harness at various different levels of depth. At this very basic level, you should feel that you are unafraid of it and that you understand the terminology and you understand what it is. And I think at its very basic level, that's what Decoded has always offered, you know, that that digital literacy piece tick now what you don't know and you won't know until you get hands on with it is whether you actually have a real passion for it and an aptitude for it and so people often rule themselves out of these skills of learning those skills because they assume that they it's not for them um number one it will be I didn't do a maths degree or I didn't study this stuff at university or I'm not a techie person uh, but I'm a creative person um and it, uh, the one that I hear a lot you know is and you know and often I mean you know I was a woman trying to learn this stuff and there was an aspect of you know this is for guys you know I did I did come across that and then we also come across, I'm too old to learn this. And especially from people over, I would say as young as 40, feel like that it's too late to learn. And, you know, one of my favourite case studies was a, a guy that we were working with. He was in his 50s working in insurance. You know, he knew how to do emails, maybe and pick up a telephone, but nothing more technical than that. But he had a personal ambition, dream to go and work in the data science team at his company and but he didn't really tick the boxes of the kind of person you know who should be learning this stuff and we don't really believe in that but eventually he managed to get onto one of our data science programs which just takes longer than a day it's six months but he had the resilience and the passion and the desire to learn which sometimes I think is more important than having a maths A level 
And he really applied himself to that learning program. And he was so successful, he got a job in the data science team at the end of the program, reporting directly into the head of data science. So he's in his 50s, you know, he emailed us kind of saying, look, I feel like I've been given another 10 years of my career. And I just love when people give themselves the permission to just discover whether they they can do something rather than letting society tell you that it's not for you, because technology is so important. And these roles are really some of the most highly paid for roles in the world and most sought after and, you know, least there's a huge skills gap and if you can hone those skills you really are opening up a whole new world of opportunities for yourself and Catherine we've got listeners that um stretch all the way from New Zealand and Australia uh right the way around to um uh, the USA and Canada how how can they access your your training your courses well, the world has changed a lot since we started Decoded. And you really, if you've decided you want to go on a learning journey, there are a million and one different ways that you can do that now, which I, I feel personally very proud of being part of that. Um, with Decoded, we are very focused upon professional skills. So it is mo- mostly for people that are being sent via their business, whether you're a large business or a small business. And um, we will deliver those courses either face-to-face or we can deliver them online. And it's anything from a half day for your board learning about artificial intelligence, right through to a six month long boot camp in data engineering or product management or software development, where you're actually creating job ready skills. Um, And it's really about on the job learning. You know, we encourage people to dedicate at least an hour a week to doing their learning programs. And our learning programs, you tend to be mentored as well. So we don't just leave people online to try and figure it out themselves. You'll be mentored by a PhD level, um, you know, uh, teacher who is a very good decoder too, um, who will really kind of coach and mentor you through the learning process. And another thing that we do that's quite different is we try to make the learning programs as relevant to your real working life as possible. So if you're going to do a a longer course, let's say in data skills, you will actually be using your own data. You'll be working on your own challenges. Um, We guarantee that after that six months, you will have a portfolio of at least a minimum of one data uh, case study of where you've applied your skills to the challenges that you have within your business. And, um, you know, we guarantee a return on investment, essentially. So you're not just building up your own skills. You can actually look at the bottom line of what you do as a business and see that those skills have had impact. Brilliant. Now, we've talked about how wonderful Decade is and how it helps. And I want to touch <laughs> on, on two other aspects of that. I want to talk about your work with the government and what you've achieved in the UK, but also I want to talk about the Rose Review and female entrepreneurship. So let, let's just talk about your, your role in supporting the UK government. You were a non-executive uh, in the Department for Business Energy and Industrial Strategy. You were also a number 10 Downing Street advisor on technology media. Um, and also you were on the Mayor of London's Business Advisory Board. So you've, you've done a lot of work with government. And the most amazing thing, um, I think, is that you successfully uh, introduced into the UK national curriculum coding 
in 2014, for which you were rightly given uh, an MBE in the Queen's Honours List. But just say a little about what it was like to work with government and about your success in getting coding on the curriculum in the UK, which was one of the first countries in the world to put coding on the curriculum for children. I think if you work in education, you've always got to have one foot maybe in government, especially the kind of thing we're doing, skills of the future, the jobs of the future, because, you know, whose responsibility is it to make sure that every single person, for example, in the UK has access to the best learning opportunities and reskilling opportunities when it comes to um you know, something as important as technology. Yes, it's the responsibility of the individual. Yes, it's the responsibility of the business. But more than that, it's the responsibility of government. You know, government needs to be creating the right policies and the right environment so that there's a plethora of different learning providers offering you opportunities that are funded for for you to um, acquire the skills of the future. So I've been very involved in government almost since the beginning, starting out really, you know, campaigning is the word, but, you know, just, you know, giving them a hard time from the outside, essentially. And it wasn't just me. There were there's a whole bunch of people um, in the code and technology community that were campaigning for, should we put code on the national curriculum? It should be on the curriculum. And, um, you know, actually those conversations were happening within government at the same time. And it was put on the national curriculum in 2014, which felt like such a great result for anyone who ran a education company, technology education company, anyone who'd been involved in it from the outside, such as myself. Um, and actually the quality of that curriculum was and is incredibly high. So it's um, every seven year old in the UK um, should be exposed to computational thinking now in the classroom. Um, now, when that happened in 2014, we decided to release all our learning materials for free online. And also we published them in uh, one of the national newspapers as supplements. Um, and we offered free teacher training to every teacher from a state school in the UK. And we did that for a couple of years. Because sometimes when policies are introduced, they can miss, miss things. And I think one big missing part of that was it was a great curriculum, but actually it's very tough on teachers full stop in the UK at the moment, you know, adding things in and giving them more things to do. And actually it's very important to be supporting the teachers and having the right tools and teaching materials to be able to actually teach that curriculum confidently in the classroom you know a lot of teachers haven't learned code so how are they supposed to actually teach it and I think um but apart from that I think it is something that the UK should be incredibly proud of you know one of the only countries in the world to introduce it successfully onto their national curriculum and I think it will only be in 2025 that that generation will start coming out of school and hitting the workforce. And I don't think we even know what impact that might have. You know, millions of young people for whom not only they're confident using technology, but they actually have a confidence of understanding the technologies, um, you know, the building blocks of that technology. So watch this space. And it is something that I get asked a lot about from, um, you know, different states, different governments all across the world. They want to understand how did the UK do that? Can they do something like that too? 
And sometimes I don't think we're good at celebrating the great things that we do as a as a country. And that is something that other people look at the UK and think, wow. So we should look at ourselves and think, wow, that was a great thing. How do we build upon that and make it even better? I joined the non-exec for the Department for Business. Um, I think I was on that board for four years. It was just a, an incredible group of people. I felt, if I'm honest, I felt really young and like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, it was uh, Lena Nair, who's now the CEO of Chanel, um, Carolyn McCall at ITV and Archie Norman, chair of Marks and Spencer. I just really, I, I felt quite out of my depth, I think, for the first year. But, but it was great because I made my, you know, focus area really on lifelong learning so how can we now do some great policies to enable it so that every single person in the UK has the opportunity to upskill and reskill at any age or stage of their career and so big focus for me was uh, really trying to educate the different departments about some of the innovative policies happening across the world in that space. For example, Singapore, um, they have their Future Skills Fund. Any person can claim $500 or more to invest in their own personal lifelong learning journey, because I think there's just a, such a huge opportunity there for the UK if they can really crack a policy to free people up to dive into learning because formalized learning really ends in our early 20s you know if we're lucky and then you could argue we're not given the permission to learn anything new after that age you know we're still living in a world where education stops at 20 you know, it assumes you know you have one job for life and you retire at 60 but that's not the world that we live in anymore we have a world where people will have minimum 12 different jobs in their career um, it could be vastly more than that. We're living longer than ever, up to you know, hundred year lives, and um, and technology is pervading every single aspect of our life and changing the job market beyond recognition. And so we need to be constantly reskilling, reimagining our our roles. And education has really failed us on on taking us on that journey. And and so, just to continue the theme of working with government. Um, beyond education. Um, in 2019, you joined the Treasury, the, the UK Treasury Rose Review into female entrepreneurship. And um, uh, you've talked very eloquently about the fact that there should be more women in tech and, you know, fewer than 20% of people working in tech are women, 5%-ish um, are in senior leadership roles. So just, just talk a little about your views on how we get more women into tech, uh, how we encourage more entrepreneurship uh, for women in the sector and elsewhere. So Alison Rose um, set up the Rose Review into female entrepreneurship, I think in 2019. And so pre-pandemic and the first iteration of that research discovered that less than 1% of venture capital was being invested in female founded businesses. And that's just quite a shocking figure, really, especially when all, all the communication coming out of government and coming out of the press is fast growth business, high growth business, technology startups. Well, the 
you know, one very, very large source of funding for those kind of businesses is the world of venture capital. And if the world of venture capital isn't those moonshots change the world ideas. So are you saying that only 1% of, um, you know, the, it, yes, there's a smaller number of women applying for venture capital, but I still, the numbers do not stack up that the number would be 1% of venture capital being invested in female founded businesses. So it really infuriated me, if I'm honest, you know, just seeing that number, because it's hard to look at that number and say that that is a statistical, um, you know, that that's not a statistical aberration, you know, because women are being invited into entrepreneurship, you know, they're being asked to start businesses, they're being asked to dream big. But if you're not going to fund women, in in creating the businesses of the future don't invite them into the party and that's how angry I felt about it and then when you look at um, the partnership level of all the venture capital firms it becomes very very clear there are very few women that sit at decision making level in the world of venture capital and people joke about it you know that it's this kind of these young kind of white male VCs but it is a reality you know if you go and look at the um at those profile pages across the board some progress has been made because of some horrific pr gaffes that have happened in the last kind of two years but still the numbers are not shifting as much as they should do that number should be you know 50 percent. why not you know why isn't 50 percent of venture capital invested in female founded businesses now, the one thing I hear back over and over is, well, women don't have the right kind of businesses. And, that you know, I hear this, like, it's, I've gone and talked to the venture capitalists, you know, oh, it's, you know, we don't receive the deal flow from women. Actually, women's business ideas aren't venture capital fundable. But I think it's a bit chicken and egg on that. Um, you know, again, come back to that number 1%. I could understand that more if the number was around 30%. But at 1%, it's just simply women are not being given the opportunities to build venture capital fundable businesses. Now, venture capital isn't the only source of funding. And, you know, it's not even necessarily a healthy source of funding, but um, it just paints a picture of uh, a inequitable landscape of venture capital funding. And I haven't even addressed diversity. So, you know, if you are a... Uh, a founder who isn't white it is going to be even more challenging for you in raising venture capital so again technology is the thing that is shaping our lives it's shaping the future it's shaping every aspect of what we do but if that technology is being coded and written and funded and created by a very small strata of society we're only solving the problems from the perspective of that small strata of society and um, the technology they're creating is being used by all of us and impacting every single one of us so it's no surprise that sometimes it feels like it's not always at our service and doing the best for us as people um, you know technology people used to say it was a very neutral tool it used to be shrouded in lots of happy clappy stuff but I think people are realizing that actually technology can have a very negative impact upon us too and we need to really build it responsibly and diversely and really from a lot of different perspectives being able to look at the implications of a technology once it's 
um, unleashed upon the world. I mean, just look at what's happening with OpenAI and ChatGPT at the moment. Um, we have a, a super intelligent chatbot that is perfectly capable of replacing many different roles uh, in society and is posing a myriad of ethical questions for us all. And so to conclude, if, if I can, Catherine, I, I, I just want to go back to Decoded and your, your working life. Now you've had a, an opportunity to set out the fantastic work you've done with, with government and in education and, and in championing a more diverse workforce uh, and female entrepreneurship. So here are two things that I'd just like to ask you in conclusion. What are your personal values and your business values? You talked about them right at the start uh, when you talked about your parents and what you've taken through. So in your day-to-day -day life, given all the things that you've just talked us through, what are your personal and business values? Um, after coded, our values are um, we've we've tweaked them a little bit, um, but they they've stayed pretty consistent since we started. So much has changed in the business. You know, we started with coding a day. We now have you know dozens of different learning products. You can do them online, face to face. But the values have remained. And number one, it's about excellence. Um, you know, we want to create the best learning products in our space, in the sectors that we focus on. Number two, it's impact. You know, there's no point teaching someone and not being able to measure what impact that has had either upon their earning potential or upon their business. Learning in abstract is great, but learning with impact is even better. Um, fun, but like our definition of fun isn't necessarily going down to the pub, although that is fun. Um, it's it's more the joy of learning. So can we create experiences which actually, you know, learning's not easy, it's very, very hard. But if we can enable people to get joy from the learning experience, that's a big objective of ours. And then the final one is integrity. So do our clients really need these products? You know, never to sell a product to a client that we don't think that they really actually need. Uh, because, um, you know, we certainly don't, teach all skills we we just teach the ones uh, that we've developed and but personally I actually had this kind of realization moment in January on values I think I was revisiting decoded's values as we always do and I thought what are my values and I didn't really confidently know and I thought god you know how can you get to like 41 and not really know your values i mean do you know your values do you think you know your values uh well I, i'm 62 today and um uh i i do yeah i i um i know what i do why i do what i do but i i've had uh, a third of a life longer to think about it catherine my final question is is just tell us what your daily routine is like oh my gosh well, as I told you at the beginning, I have an eight-month-old, <laughs> so my routine has definitely changed. And I relocated to San Francisco um, just about a year ago. Um, so I wake up very early, not just because of the eight-month-old, but because the team are in London. Uh, we've also got a team in New York, and I will dot between meetings, end of the day meetings with the London team, end of the day meetings with the New York team. And then I get focused upon uh, getting into the time zone I'm in here, expanding the business out here on the West Coast. 
And so that'll be a very early start for me usually, um, you know, as early as I've done some crazy early meetings, but you know, five or six. Um, trying to go to the gym, you know, really in America, it's, it's not something I loved doing when I lived in London. My gym was like running around in, in high heels up and down escalators. <laughs> that was a really good workout. But I think in America, you, I definitely embraced a different way of working, which is much more sedentary, desk based. And so I need to now get that fitness in and just treat it like a job. I treat it like a job going to the gym. You know, I will go in there and do my one hour uh, minimum and um, pretty religiously now every single day because there's no running around. Although they have wonderful hills in San Francisco. And then, uh, yeah, and um, and on the weekends, I spend my time with my wonderful husband and family and got much better at switching off, actually, than I used to be. You know, for founders, it can be all consuming having a business and I think we're all beginning to get a better grip on work-life balance or mental health and you know really I cherish that kind of time that I set aside to be with my family now um, and especially on the weekends and actually the younger people at Decoded have been very um, have really there's a lot of reverse mentoring that happens there and you know, that next generation just have a really different way of thinking about work-life balance and their fitness and their health and their mental health that has really rubbed off on me, actually, and, you know, in a positive way. And it's been a very, very tough few years for everyone in business. I don't care what anyone says. And so really making sure that your health and well-being are prioritised is, is just important for everyone. Um, because it's a tough old slog out there and anyone who's got through COVID or the last few years just needs to give themselves a pat on the back. Well, thank thank you for that, Catherine, and you definitely deserve a pat on the back. I mean, thank you for, for sharing your amazing journey with us all, um, the, the work that you're doing to uh, help people around the world um, understand uh, code and the new language, um, you've certainly had an amazing impact and I'm very grateful to you for sparing the time to talk to us on this edition uh, of the podcast about um, your life to date and from all that you've said you certainly sound very happy. <laughs> well thank you so much for having me on um, yeah I said it's been a while since I've chatted to anyone about the work that we do so it's been it's been very cathartic a real joy thank you very much. To listen to more episodes and find out how to get happy in your working life, head to workall.co. Work happier.